Today's scripture comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 2, verses 15 to 25. Book of Exodus, chapter 2, verses 15 to 25. Please rise with me for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian and seven daughters, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that, may, that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses' daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. The cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham. With Isaac and with Jacob, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, let's pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find wisdom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So we've been going through the book of Exodus, and I didn't notice until this past week that there's an animation. So this whole time, when I saw it on the website, I said, wow, this is pretty cool. And they said, you know, every time you walk up, the animation goes up. So I didn't notice because I'm just focused. But I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but um, we are now kind of where Moses is. So we went through this whole thing last week about how Moses grew up in Egypt, was educated in Egypt, and then he killed somebody, <laughs> and then he fled, and now he's sitting by a, a well singing a very sad song, and he grew out his hair, dyed it black, and that kind of thing. And so he's now in the land of Midian, sat down by a well, and this is something that we have to think about. The title is The Sojourner, and so we see Moses sojourning and this place of not just physical sojourning, but it seems as though there's a lot to do with his heart that's going on here. If you think about it, with Moses, all of his skill, all of his learning is lonely. You know what happened before? He couldn't do the things that he wanted to do the way he wanted to do it. You got to listen here. He couldn't do the things that he wanted to do the way he wanted to do it. And so to control that, things started to escalate. You know, escalation happens when you want to control something so badly, but you can't. And the way it manifests a lot of times is anger. I have made fun and said anger is a Korean male thing, but it's not just for Korean men. When we get angry, we're the ones that start to get out of control. 
You know, previously we read that Moses looked to the left and Moses looked to the right. He looked this way and that way. And then he killed the Egyptian. He murdered someone. Why? Why would you even look to the left and to the right? Why would you look this way and that way? It's because he knew it was wrong. If you want to look at anybody, it could be the most innocent thing. But if I picked up a sandwich and I looked to the left and looked to the right and then ate the sandwich, you'd be like, this guy is shady. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Why would you look to the left and to the right and then eat the sandwich? But Moses did that. But now he's a murderer. You know, he's at this well. He may have looked down the well, saw his reflection, and see his reflection whisper back, murderer, because he's Smeagol. I'm just kidding. That's not in the Bible. I just added that in. That's not in the Bible at all. Um, but this is something that you can say. It's something he's going through internally. That was a Lord of the Rings uh, reference. I know. That was a big nerdy reference. Once in a blue moon. Not all the time, okay? Please forgive me. Um, but you could tell that there's something that he's struggling with internally. That's why you would sit down by a well, you know? And so Moses learned through his Egyptian culture the teachings in this great dynasty. Remember, this is the most majestic, powerful empire at the time. They had the highest form of education, resources, just everything that was available, that was them. That meant, and then they taught people that everybody other than the Egyptians were inferior. They were teaching people Korea number one, Japan, blah, that kind of thing. They were teaching people that. And Moses couldn't take that because he was Japanese. Well, reverse that. He was, he was an Egyptian and he was Hebrew. And this is teaching us something. What are we, we really saying when we say a culture is better than another culture? What are we really saying? You know, we are in a place now where we think, you know, I want to be part of a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-this, that, church, group, whatever it is, right? And when we start saying that, I always question, what are you really saying? Are you really saying that you just want different skin colors in the place with one culture? And what's that culture? What is the pervading culture? Is it Korean? No. Then what is it? So when people are saying, I want this, I want that, then I always wonder, what are you really saying? And Moses took it. And when he was learning these things, he's like, you know what? I don't agree. I can't really submit to the fact that you're teaching us that Egyptians are superior and he, the Hebrew people are inferior. And so he didn't accept it. He rejected it. And it says in the Bible that he chose to stay with his people. In Hebrews 11, it says he grew, he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So Moses got it. You know, we could see all the weaknesses of Moses, sure, but he got this point, that that culture was not superior. In fact, this is something that I really want to get at and hit home. We always think this culture, that, that culture, oh, you know, we can hate on. I'm, I'm just saying this because maybe 95 plus of, of us are Korean or have Korean descent in us. And it's easy to knock on it. 
But I would be very careful. If we knock on it, what are we really lifting up? It's like, ah, oh, I hate it when Koreans eat kimchi. I don't know, whatever it is. Ah, oh, it smells like garlic or not enough ginger. I don't know what it is. But if it is, what are we really lifting up then? What are we saying is better? It's easy for us to knock on certain things, but is it really what we are saying when we're just saying, oh, this is bad, I hate Koreans, that kind of thing? I, I say this because I, I'm guilty of it. That's my testimony. Um, even growing up, it's like, why does everybody, all these Koreans hang out together? I'm only hanging out with Caucasian <laughs> or something like to that effect or all these different, I had a Moroccan friend, I had, um, growing up, I had a uh, Pakistanian friend, uh, Eastern European friend, and uh, a Caucasian friend. And we all grew up together. And then, you know, it made me feel like, oh, this is, this is what it's really about. This is America, and that kind of thing. And then what, what I failed, what I missed, was this really incredible gem. All this time, I thought church is about God being super cultural. Supercultural meaning God is above culture. He's not Korean. He's not Anglo-Saxon Western. He's not, you know, Japanese. He's not European. He's not these things. But he's supercultural. And that's what I thought. And that, to a certain degree, that is true. It's not like God is Korean. He's not going to speak to you in Korean. And then you know it's God. He's not going to be like, and be like, oh, that's got to be God. That's not really what happens. But... He is super cultural, but he is also transcultural. And this is not a real word. I made it up, and if I ever do a doctoral thesis, I'm going to write about God's transculturalness. But he's transcultural. This is what I mean by that, that he can use every culture to get glorified. In fact, all the languages and cultures are kept in Revelation 2 when they're glorifying God. He doesn't make everybody into one homogenous culture, saying this is a superior culture. All the languages, all the cultures come together and worship God. So when we're saying, look, we want a multicultural service, what are you asking? Are we going to start singing in different languages, have different cultures come out? You know, someone's going to have like, what do you call these things again? What? Castanets. Castanets. Are we going to start using castanets instead of the shaker? The shaker was very good. It was very good today. But are we just going to have the castanets instead? But, I mean, what are we really saying? But what we have to understand, I do believe, and Moses got it, that we can't say a culture is superior in that sense. There are some things that are bad in culture that we must reject. I get that. But to say that God won't use any culture and he is above it all the time is to miss the point. Jesus came down into a culture, into a people. He was of a race. And he spoke, you know, I, I don't know if you were there for like two Christmases or three Christmases ago. I, I spoke about that. He was a Nazarene. He was from Galilee. And Galilee had the super thick accent that people couldn't even understand. And people knew if you were a Galilean. That's why the people knew that Peter was a Galilean when he was up in front of the courts. It's like, this guy's a Galilean. Because he couldn't even hide the accent. It was super thick. And people looked down on them. But guess where Jesus was from? He was from that. So Moses realizing this, he rejected it. And why did Moses realize this? 
The Bible teaches it's because of faith. And Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Moses rejected that. Rejected that notion that Egyptian culture was superior. Just because they, were, they had the dynasty, they were in, in the superior position. And so he rejected the teachings of the Egyptians and chose rather to stay with his people. And to do that, you would think, oh, yes, I I'm doing this great thing. And then his people rejected him. It's like, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you going to kill me like the Egyptian? And that's why he's like, oh, my goodness, I'm rejected even by my own people. So he left. He left. But you can see what happened. What, what happens when you just can't get things to go the way you want it to go and you start losing control of the things you really want to control? What are the things that we really want to control in life? You know, isn't it, th- aren't, aren't they like things like family? Don't you get so upset when a family member does this or that? When you want someone to do it this way and they don't. And, you get so, and then that anger escalates. When the anger escalates, and Moses' anger escalates, and you can see later on, it will escalate even more. You can't control. You even go all the way to murder. And once he murdered, he just, that was it. You can't stay there anymore. So he, he ran. He left. It says here he became a sojourner, and he just went to a well, and he sat. Why would you go to a well? Because even if you want to say, oh, I hate the world, the world's stupid, and you have a bumper sticker on your car, everyone else is stupid, and then you drive. I've, I've seen those bumper stickers, like everyone else is stupid, and they're driving, and then you could tell that person is angry. If I see that bumper sticker, I'm just going to stay like a few cars behind you because who knows what can happen. And I've seen a lot of things uh, on the road, on the subway, and it's all the craziest things that you see is because anger kept on escalating and they just couldn't handle it anymore. So um, one time, two cars were going to Newark Airport. And then this guy wanted to get in because to get to Newark Airport, you had to exit. And this other car was also going, but he wouldn't let him go. So they're just going at the same speed, accelerating at the same speed, braking at the same speed. Maybe the guy on the right was trolling him. I'm not sure. But the guy on the left got so mad that he veered his car to the right, hit him, and then drove off right before the exit. So the other guy stopped, reversed out of the exit, and then chased him. And then I was like, wow, I can't believe I witnessed it, but I need to get to Newark Airport. So I just kept on going my way. But when the anger continues to escalate, and when you're driving, when you're with your family, whatever it is, what happens to you? Don't these crazy thoughts come in your mind? Like, oh, if only I could, right? And Moses, it came out. And then he's in this place. And when you're angry, when you get angry and angry, and it finally explodes, and you're like, comfort me. But no one's there, obviously, because you just exploded. And everybody's just mm, going to give that guy some space. And so he's alone. Even though he's lonely, he realizes, and he must have felt it, this is not how it's supposed to be. You know, this is not how it's supposed to be. I need to be with people. Why would you sit at a well? It's because people need to drink water. It's the desert. Where are you going to go? You're going to go to a well to drink water. So eventually someone's going to come. He's sitting by the well. 
The Bible doesn't say this is all speculation. I'm using my, in, in seminary, they, they always encourage me, you know, Eugene, use your sanctified imagination. And I would always laugh because you mean my mind that is being sanctified. I'm not complete. Anyway, your theology is all wrong, professor. But um, that being said, I'm using my mind that is being sanctified to see these things. It's not necessarily in the Bible, but we can imagine. And so by God's grace, someone does show up. And it's the priest of Midian's daughters. He had seven daughters. That's a lot of daughters. That means he may have kept on trying until he got a son and seven. That's it. No, I'm just kidding. He wasn't Asian. Uh, but we can't miss the importance of this scene, right? That was a joke. Uh, we can't miss the importance of this scene because people think Exodus is about getting the law. You know, when we think about Exodus, is isn't about Ten Commandments, boom, the really buff Charleston Heston that no one here knows except three people comes and gets the two tablets, and then you can see him. We think that's, the, that's Exodus. But before that, we see that before God people, God's people got any of the law, we see here in the first two chapters an incredible show of grace and mercy. We're going to continue to see it in this passage. But God shows incredible grace and mercy in spite of the darkness that is surrounding his people. And it shows us God's character. God is the God who lavishes his love and mercy on his people before he gives them any command. God is the God who lavishes his love and mercy on his people before he even issues a command. They came to the well to water the flocks. But then when they came, and Moses was watching this, when they came to water the flocks, these other shepherds would come and drive them away. And Moses, it says here, Moses saved them. It's very reminiscent of Jacob and the well as well. But he wasn't just educated, smart, and knowledgeable, but he was trained. Back then, they didn't despise phys ed so much. In fact, they're like, phys ed, bring it on. And they pro he was probably trained in fighting, in the art of war, because it says shepherds, so there's got to be more than one. And even if it's two verse one, it's a really difficult situation. I'm, I'm sure none of us here have that experience. Maybe, maybe some. But 17 to one, whatever it is, it's not going to work out unless he was really trained. So here, we see that this education and this physical education as well as intellectual education, all this education is really culminated in Moses. And we see that Moses saved them. And isn't that why a lot of you are here? Isn't that why a lot of you are here? Didn't Koreans come to America because they wanted to educate their children? One time, someone said, I want to stop selling these cheap goods on the street, but I actually have no way out. Perhaps I can achieve a better life for my children while trying to better myself too, but really for my children. And so you see here, this is the kind of education Moses got that no one else, no one, no one else in, in the Hebrew camp really got. And Moses got this training and he was in peak physical condition. How do I know this? Because he was 40. How do I know he was 40? It says so in an Acts. So he's 40, peak physical condition. It's in the book of Acts. 
And then, so he saves them. And now daughters come back and his father asks them, why did you come back so early? Now again, I'm going to use the mind that is being sanctified to conjecture that they came really early, meaning that perhaps most of the time, if not all of the time, all of the time excuse me, they didn't come home early at all. They came pretty late. I can conjecture that they came really late, probably at night, when all the other shepherds watered their own flocks. And who knows what the condition of that well was. Maybe the water didn't flow well. Maybe the shepherds were desecrated so that the priest's daughter wouldn't even get clean water. In the very least, this is what we know. They did not get to water the flocks or their flocks at the optimal time. And Moses saves them from this humiliation. And their father is like, why would you, wait, don't look a gift horse in the mouth and bring him here. The, the idiom is because, is he, just because he's Egyptian? It's like, oh, this Egyptian came and saved us. But he's like, don't look at a gift horse in the mouth. Bring him here. And Moses is brought, and he actually marries one of those daughters, and they has, he has a son. And he names his son Gershom, because I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. That loneliness that he was really feeling, I have been, past tense, now I see that this is something that I was going through. It's a season. But this is pointing to something. See, the story just doesn't stop there. It continues to go. And the Bible reads like this. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning and God remembered. That's what the Bible says. And God remembered. God remembered his covenant with Abraham. Why does the Bible say God remembered? Does God forget? No, absolutely not. In Isaiah chapter 49, it says, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And this is how God responds to that. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you in the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Can a mother that is nursing forget her child? My sister just had a baby, and a lot of us had babies. Sure, my, uh, this two weeks, uh, a weekend ago, she did, and <clears throat> there was a nanny cam. I visited her. There was this nanny cam that they have. It, it shoots to the iPad, and then uh, the baby was sleeping because the baby's what, like five days old or whatever. And then my sister would take naps when the baby's napping, but this time she got up. And then I, it was caught on the nanny cam. I wasn't spying. The nanny cam was on the table. And then she just walked over to the baby and just sat there looking at the baby for like 30 minutes and just looked at her. Um, that's what moms do, I figure, because I just saw one. But can a woman forget her nursing child? And that's how God responds. God responds, this is how much I remember you and I won't forget you. Should she have no compassion on the son of her womb? And then he even goes further. Even though she may forget, even though a nursing mother would forget her child that she is nursing, nursing that she just gave birth, birth to, I will not forget you. That's how much more I will remember you. That's what he is saying. So what is it saying when 
the Bible says God remembered. Well, it's an anthropomorphism. And that means that we take what we believe, our feelings, and we take it and we subject it to something that is like God. And in this case, it's remembrance. Remembrance. It says in Genesis chapter 8, God remembered Noah, and then he ended the flood. In Psalm 25, it says when God remembers sin, he punishes it. When God remembers his people, in Nehemiah chapter 13, he blesses them. Passages that say God remembers is showing us something. This is so important. When it says God remembers, that means something, and we can never forget this. God remembers means he is about to move. Watch out. He remembers. So when we cry out, God, remember me, we're saying, God, move. I need you to move. Because when humans say they remember and they don't act on it, is it really any different than forgetting, right? So let's say, you know, you have an anniversary with your spouse, and then you don't get them anything at all. And then they're like, did you forget our anniversary? You go, no, I remembered. And you didn't do anything. It's like, what's the difference? It's like, no, no, no. I assure you, I remembered our anniversary. It's right here. <laughs> and then you tell her that. <laughs> like, that's really going to work. It's not going to work. I'm telling you this in advance. It just doesn't work that way. And it doesn't work that way in anything in life. But when God remembers, remember this, he is about to move. And he's about to show us proofs that he never forgot, and he will never forget. In Psalm 106, it says, remember me. Remember that prayer? If you really want God to move, you say, remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them. This is a prayer saying, God, I need you to move. Remember, O Lord, remember me. Remember me in my loneliness, in my sojourning. I've made mistakes. When I got angry, guess what happened? People got hurt. In Moses' case, someone got killed, and he was about to get killed. When I couldn't control the things that I needed to control, that I thought I needed to control, and I just needed it this way, why is this so difficult? And it started to escalate and escalate and escalate. And finally, it just explodes in your face. And then you cry out saying, God, remember me because I just can't do it. Remember me when you show favor to your people. Remember me when you save them. Save me. Help me when you save them. This is a prayer that I want you to remember to pray because God listens to that prayer. God listens to that prayer. When things get so out of control and then you try to put it in that box, you try to put your life in this box, you know what? In five years, I'm going to do this. In 10 years, I'm going to do this. In fact, I even had this question growing up in work and even at church. They would ask me, Eugene, what's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? And then you can whip out your journal. You know, five years, I'm going to be having this much in my 401k. I'm going to have achieved this much. I'm going to have this many people under me finish this many projects, and then you try to do it, oh, and it just needs to fit, and it doesn't, and it just explodes like a jack-in-a-box. And then where are you 
If you are where Moses is, you're saying, remember me, O Lord. Remember me, because I'm helpless now. I just, I just can't. Lord, move. But you see, the psalm doesn't end there. It just doesn't end at remember me. It says, remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them. And then it goes on. That I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones. That I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation. That I may glory with your inheritance. What we are praying now is, oh Lord, move so I can move. I've been paralyzed by the fact that I want to control everything, but Lord, I need you to move. Then I can truly move. Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And it continues to say that, but it continues and goes on by saying, He considered the reproach, this is Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What is the reward that we are looking to? And it says here in Psalm 106 that I may look, I want to see, that I may rejoice. I want to rejoice that I may glory. Yes, I want glory. Yes, but the object has changed at that prayer. Look at the objects of those prayers. It changed from me and me trying to be in control to God, God's chosen one. God's holy nation, God's inheritance. See, in the deepest and truest sense, we must be able to see that Christ is the true sojourner that came to this earth. It points to God, and Christ is the one that was rejected by his own people, so much so that Moses, yes, he wasn't killed, but there was someone that was killed in that rejection. And yes, Psalm 106 is fulfilled in Christ. When through Christ you have been shown from punishment, you have been shown favor. From death, you have been shown salvation. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. We can't forget this. We can't think it's something else. The reason why we gather to celebrate isn't because this is just a hospital. I'm not sure if you've heard this growing up. This place is not just a hospital, spiritual hospital, whatever you want to say. We weren't just sick and got healed. We didn't have just a few character flaws that needed to be corrected, and we came on Sunday to get our help, to get bandaged up, to get some surgery done. The gospel is saying that we were dead, and now we are alive. We were completely dead, and now we are alive. That's why when we see it, we rejoice because of it, and we get to glory in him. Psalm 106 truly comes to life when we see that the gospel is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That is the good news that we have been given. This mercy that is continually being poured on his people. We can continue to think, this is the law, this is the law, this is the law. But you know what? God is showing us, I'm going to pour out my mercy and grace on you. And then you get to that place in Psalm 1 where it says, I just love your law. 
I meditated on it day and night. It's a pinnacle. It climaxes. It goes up to that. But the whole base of the mountain is filled with His grace and mercy. And that's where we are. We're in a place where we are filled with His grace and mercy as God leads us up this mountain. And this is why we can say, God, open my eyes so that I can see it. I want to rejoice and I want to glory in you, O God. Won't you, Lord, come into my life and change it, transform it. What was dead, bring back to life. And that is what Christ does for his chosen ones. That is what Christ does for his church. That is our testimony, church. That is our testimony, that we were dead and now we are alive. That's why we gather here. Let's pray.